Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is a long-time colleague and friend, and after the 2012 Olympics, she became a national treasure. Claire Balding is a one-off, a phenomenal broadcaster, best-selling author, radio presenter, animal fanatic, and a campaigner for all kinds of causes she feels strongly about, but mainly and prominently the continued battle for equal pay and conditions for women in the workplace. She's married to Alice Corbett, the radio broadcaster, and Alice would probably agree that in spite of Claire being 50 this year, she still has the enthusiastic energy of a Labrador puppy. Uh, we also have a chat to the campaigning MP Carolyn Harris, who has brought the menopause bill to the House. It's a cross-party bill. And Solgar are supporting us today, so with Carolyn on, it seems pertinent to mention their Menoprime, which is a plant-based hormone-free support for women over the age of 45. It's uniquely designed to support your change in life. Right, here is the inimitable Claire Balding. Claire, Claire Balding, sitting in front of me, ready to talk about midlife. I'm so thrilled that you accepted the invitation. Oh God, have I got to talk about it? <laughs> I mainly just came to see your house and your gardens and your fantastic view and have lunch cooked by you. That well, was my you you know, subplot. The fourth person in what will be about 36 episodes to have actually come to the house. Um, and you demanded lunch as well. I did. Nobody I did. else demanded lunch. Uh, so no. I said, I want you to cook me lunch. I want a full tour. I want to say hello to the dogs, obviously. Yes, just admire your life, which I have, and I love it. Oh, it's great. Well, you're a country bumpkin yourself, naturally, aren't you? But you find yourself living in a city. Yes. Yeah. There's a bit of a dilemma going on. A little sensing. bit. Yeah. That's, my, that's my midlife crisis. Do I stay in London for work purposes, obviously? And also because I love my neighbours. Mm. Clive next door comes and fixes anything that goes wrong. And Elizabeth and Mark on the other side got three gorgeous kids who talked to us over the fence and like, were my best <laughs> friends during lockdown and have got one of our kittens. And then Giles and Rosie down the road, they're brilliant. And I can go and watch Emma Raducanu with them, which I did. Because they love their tennis. So it's it's the people rather than... Yeah, it's the people and the location. It is awfully right. easy. Could yeah. you downsize a little bit in the area and then have uh, your main home out of London? No, because can't have two houses. Oh, right. Can't do that. No. Okay. Where are you keeping things, you know? Right. Where's the post oh, going? I thought you were going to say because of the environment. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> Sorry, yes, because of the environment. But it struck me just then, actually, that this is an interesting dilemma to have now because a lot of people like me who have kids have it earlier. Yes. We run out of the cities uh, when the kids get to an age where you think, oh, they need they need a bit of space. And actually, you didn't have that dilemma in no. your late 30s or mid 30s. No, do you know, I had a funny incident. We uh, we had our UK holiday. Um, Alice had very loved, I mean, what a fantastic fantastic gift for my 50th which was at the end of January and clearly not celebrated yet because I wasn't able to yeah thanks for the um, invite it ha I haven't had a party yet you will get an invite so will the kids because I want to do this amazing like sports day where we all join in oh, and exactly and you're inviting the Logans yeah and you don't expect us to win no I want you to try to win everyone's gonna be trying to win and someone suggested to me the other day that we should have a random selection for tug of war teams yes because it's a really good way to mix people up and yes. and obviously then injure them but that would be fun and um yeah and I've got the crepe van sorted because you friend give of me all the events beforehand just so we can have a little practice a little practice, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure you know, but there'll be a bit of cricket and there'll be a bit of netball and there'll be a bit of a golf kind of thing, simulator, whatever, and tug of war and maybe a tar some kind of target thing, which I'm rubbish at. I mean, it might just be as simple darts. as... Well, darts might be dangerous because I... I quite, <laughs> javelin, exactly. I quite often throw things behind me. Right. So I don't think anything with an arrow on it is a good idea, but you will be getting an invitation. But Alice had bought me as my 50th birthday present an amazing trip to Madagascar, which we were due to take after Olympics and Paralympics. But of course, we couldn't because Madagascar was still on the red list. So instead, we went on a UK tour. We were at Bowood House playing golf because we love golf. And we went to see the house and the gardens. And I heard this child scream, Mummy! And I looked at Alice and I thought, thank, and I said to her, thank God, that's neither of us. And isn't that, I mean, for me, that's what that a lot of women will identify with that. You won't. And lots of women won't. And they'll think, gosh, you cold heartless no, bitch. No, no, they but won't. it's just that thing of I've got to 50 and no one's ever screamed, mummy, <laughs> at me. <laughs> Not knowingly. And Someone did once come to me by mistake thinking it was their mother and hugged my legs oh. and then looked up at me. <laughs> and at 50, it's unlikely to. Yes, <laughs> probably. Yes. Did um, you ever have a dilemma about it, though? No, I only wanted puppies or kittens, actually. And eventually we did have kittens. And you must have same-sex couple friends who Yeah, got oh, who would just absolutely yeah. and have and have done it. Absolutely. And are great mothers. But no, and it, I, I never wanted to. And 
it wasn't going to happen by accident. So. so as a result, not only does the kind of decision to relocate and all those things come to you when you have children because of practical reasons, because you haven't got children, your life is... It's not so constrained by term times and all those kind of things that kids for 18 years give you the, the parameters almost of your life. Yes, we've saved a fortune on holidays by not taking them, <laughs> by not taking them in rush hour, as it were. Um, yeah, and, and it is, and I love being an auntie. So I have two nephews and a niece and that is so much fun. But it does change midlife in a way, doesn't it? Because actually it might not feel quite as mid because I'm looking at my kids coming up to 18 in two years time and suddenly go, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And then how will that affect my work decisions? How will that, my professional decisions? Traveling for long, long periods of time or taking on projects. But that's not something that, apart from missing Alice, perhaps, that you've ever... Well, we're quite keen to do something together. So if that were to happen, we'd say yes. But no, I've turned definitely turned things down because I just didn't want to be away again. And I sort of, and you will uh, understand this completely, working in our line of <laughs> of work... Um, we've worked extremely hard to make sure that we are more than prepared for every event we do. So it's not just a case of um, doing the event and the pressure of live television and reacting, responding and knowing, you know, knowing what's going on. You're really prepping for it to make sure that the house doesn't fall down because the foundations haven't been built properly, that kind of thing. And that's, I've, I've hugely enjoyed that, but you do reach a stage where you go, all right, do I need to be doing quite so much? And I'm really happy not to do quite so much, actually. And last year certainly taught me that. Why did, because of lockdown, yeah. you realised that you could feel fulfilled, happy and... Yes, yeah, totally. without Without going on telly and hearing a count in your ear. Mm. <laughs> was yes, that a revelation? It, well, I, I was writing. So I did, I wrote two books. I mean, it gave me a structure to my day, for sure. Um, and I think it was, actually, I think just to enjoy life without the... I, I miss the adrenaline rush of it. I did. I did miss that. I miss the unpredictability and the really having to think on your feet and I quite like it when things go wrong and the running orders ripped up within two minutes I really enjoy that so I missed that element of you know god what next but I didn't miss being on television I really didn't I loved being able to wear you know essentially sports leisure clothing <laughs> all day every day and no makeup out and that's quite you know that is quite labor intensive which I think you can wear sports leisure clothing all the time anyway I do. nowadays, can't you? Any, anybody can wear I that. I sit here before you with no makeup yeah. on and in sort of vague, well, jeans and a shirt. And so do, do you think it was being the age you were, 49, 50 at that point, that was also a factor? Because had you been 32, 33, well, yeah. you might have been panicking a bit more. I would have panicked and also would have had a lot more financial urgency <laughs> to finding work. Whereas, you know, there's just much less pressure because it, it's it I've kind of not been frivolous and I've yeah. been very careful and I've done sensible things um, and as we discussed before as well I haven't um, had kids to yeah. spend it on so. <laughs> they're expensive mm. uh, but you've had pets <laughs> and they're they can be expensive too when you go Arch, no Archie was not as expensive as having a <laughs> do you, um, child do you spoil your years. you've got niece and nephew haven't you yeah two nephews and a niece right do you spoil them um I try and give them time and when, so therefore, when I'm with them, it is 100% about them. I'll go and watch them have riding lessons or I'll go and watch them compete. The boys are coming to stay and we're going to... I sent John a message. He's the eldest one. I said, right, don't tell me this isn't the best two days of your life because it is for me. We're going to play uh, nine holes of golf, which will count for handicap purposes because they both want to get handicaps. Then we're going to see the Bond movie. We will go via Poundland to get sweets from Poundland. <laughs> then we're going to Nando's for supper. And then the following day, we will play 18 holes of golf again for... But handicap purposes, I said, look, I just think that's my dream two days. And to spend it with them, oh. you know, that's, that's, I'm thrilled. Yeah. I mean, I think most parents listening to things this will think, gosh, if I do that once a year with my children, I'll be lucky juggling everything else that goes on. So yeah, they're very lucky to get I that kind of time I just block out two you. days in the diary and go, well, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's for them. And how yeah. old are they? Jono is going to be 15 in December and he's six foot seven. So he's 14 at the moment, six foot seven. Wow. And gets really bored because at the races everyone says you're not going to be a jockey are you and it's just like <laughs> literally after the hundredth person has said it it's so boring oh yes it's, yeah. when you spend a, spend a day with peter crouch and you hear people coming up to him saying the same thing all the time how's the weather up yeah. there all of that so boring toby is a couple of years younger and then flora's a few so do again. you use them subconsciously maybe as a kind of prism through which to view kind of youth and how young people are seeing the world um, oh and i ask them what they think about things 
you, you know, what do they think about violence at football matches, for example? Um, what's their view on Black Lives Matter or taking the knee or what what are they discussing about equality and and what are the you know, what do they think about how we can tackle climate change? I have really interesting conversations with them. But I have also been saying to Flora since she was four years old, right, what are we going to do with your career? <laughs> and and then she'll change her mind from one. Usually it's want to ride at the Olympics, you know, she wants to be an inventor. And then I said, yes, but what else? What are we doing to back that up? So then when she was about eight, she started, then, you know, finding When she was eight, to- I took her on a tour of Cambridge colleges. And um, she's, and it's, and it's important for you, particularly with her, because you, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you feel the boys would already have the world telling them they can do anything. Yeah. Do you think it's still all that we have been through in our careers and what we've seen and the changes we've seen? Do you think having a young niece like that, do you think that young girls are still perhaps not held to be as accountable or held to at that age are kind of given those options and choices? I think they're given a lot of options and choices up to the age of about 18, 19, 20. And then they will start getting asked, you know, well, when are you going to get married? And and a boy will not be asked that. It just doesn't happen that way. So I think there's still a high level of expectation that you will follow the, you know, what was presented to me as the traditional route. You will get married, you will have children, you will rely then on, you know, your husband's income or a some form of joint income. And I just, you know, hopefully just in being who we are, me and Alice, we just represent a different alternative. And that's not to do with sexuality so much it's to do with your role as a woman in society it doesn't have to be just one thing and we had a conversation just before about privilege and about the fight that is in you how do you i mean your nieces and nephews um, and other parents might be listening of other children who have got a lot i think it is a or a good start in life to have the fight you and i see sports people all the time who have that fight and determination a child asked me the other day, actually, at the Cheltenham Literary Festival, um, she would have been about 12, and she said, where does your motivation come from? And I said, I think early on it came, to, it came from trying to prove to my father that I was capable, and that was, it's not a bad motivation to have, but you can't have that your whole life. And also, if, you haven't, if you're not doing it for you, for your own sense of achievement, and because you enjoy something and you want to do it well, you're going to kind of run out of at some point that you know who who are you i think you do want to ask and i and i don't know what your drive was to start with but you definitely have it really strongly and you and i would be very similar in that you know every program we do we give a lot to and we want it to be perfect and the full knowledge it never will be <laughs> but i there is i have a real pride in in my work and you do too of wanting and it's not to beat anybody else it's not about that it's about trying to do things as well as they can be done and getting the best out of the team around you. Um, I think I was also trying to prove that women could do it when you suddenly were not one of only a handful of women in sports broadcasting. And actually there were hundreds around, which is wonderful. And I'm really, it makes me so excited. And you just think we've seen the greatest transformation in our industry that has ever happened in terms of representation. And we've seen it through the beginning of our career to now. And I just feel... Oh, I'm glad you didn't call it the end. To <laughs> <laughs> so now, wherever we are in it. Um, I was wondering when you said there that your dad was your early motivator because you wanted to prove to him that you were capable of doing great things. At what age did you reconcile with that and think, actually, no, this is about me now? Was it, was it, was it something you needed help with? Was it going to chew you up? Was it going to spoil your relationship? And that's a really good question. I don't... I think... To be honest, when I stopped presenting racing, he probably stopped watching as much of what I do. You know, he's not going to watch women's football, you know, even if I'm presenting it. And I think there were certain things, you know, early on getting to present Grandstand and you will have felt as well. That's a hell of a landmark. And Sports Personality of the Year, again, a real landmark or the Olympic coverage. And then you kind of go, oh, I know, actually, at the BAFTAs after London 2012, bathing in the reflected glory of those who did so well around me they gave me an award and that was lovely and I invited my parents that night and my dad's brain was still pretty good then which it isn't now and I think that was probably the moment that I was like okay enough I've done it in the sense of I've done it for you and now it's me and how has that changed you as you because that would be your early 40s and as you've kind of gone through your 40s would you say it was a decade 
where you enjoyed things more because of that, or you were able to just smell, you know, wake up and smell the coffee a bit more and just be in the moment a bit more? The being in the moment is something I've really worked on and am very conscious of now and am much, much better at it. I wouldn't say I'm always great at it, but it has changed a lot for me because it means I'm not, A, I'm not doing it, you know, for other people. It's so, But it's also I'm not thinking of where have I got to be in an hour's time? Where was, oh God, why didn't I do that this morning? I'm here right now. I'm talking to you. That's all I'm doing. That's all my brain is focused on. And I genuinely think with covering what we cover, that's the that's what people on the pitch are doing or on the court. Emma Raducanu talked about it after the US Open final. And I think it's one of the greatest skills to learn. I'm not sure I was ready to learn it sooner. I think it's something you come to. And that's why, God, I admire her anyway for her skill and talent. But to be able to do that at the age of 18, as she did, is so, that's so impressive and really rare. And I think... A lot of, and you'll have seen it because you're living with teenagers, I think they can struggle a lot with that, of being really in the room, present with you, focused on you, having a proper conversation, making eye contact, all those things that are representative of the fact that we are in the same moment. It's made a lot easier for me, uh, the things like travelling. and How has it made it easier? Because I'm not, you know, if we have to come off the M4 because the M4 is closed, I'm much better at, oh, this is fun. Where are we going through now? <laughs> Instead of going, this is going to take 20 minutes longer or whatever. I'm better at, yeah, coping with delays, just the length of journeys. And this reflects travel. But Amos is thinking, gosh, she's obsessed with travel. But in our line of work, we spend a lot of time on motorways. When you see Claire on telly and you think, well, it's only a three-hour programme, that's uh, not just the prep that's gone in the week, but that's probably a day that started nine hours before with regard to travel and getting production meetings, all of that. And and so all of that stuff that goes around, people people still say to me, what time do you go to Manchester to do match of the day? And I'll go, I'll probably leave about half eight in the morning. And they go, what? It's on at half ten at night. Well, yeah, the first match is 12 o'clock kickoff, 12.30 kickoff, so I've got to be there. But it's a lot of work that goes into it before. Yeah. So to actually not get stressed about all that stuff around mm. it makes work more enjoyable. Much more enjoyable. And I think it makes me easier to be around as well. And I'm, you know, I love, love, love what I do. And I am very conscious of the privilege of doing it and having done it for a long time. And I enjoy the creative process. So when I was doing the Paralympics, I was in Leeds, actually in the studio in Leeds, and we had a lot of friends and family of the athletes coming in and I would be writing the script or writing the headlines while I'm sitting there in the studio because obviously headlines need updating and we're doing them every 45 minutes or so. So me and Alex Rice was my sub on that. So we'd go, I'd say, I'll take one, three and five, you do two and four. And, and we had this you know, system we'd write into it at the same time. And one of the mums said to me, she went, God, I just thought you turned up and read autocue. And I said... <laughs> No, <laughs> but it's amazing how many people think that. Yeah, yeah, and don't realise you're actually writing your own scripts and you're and having quite a heavy influence on the running order as well for a live event, particularly one like the Paralympics that I've done for a long time. But you've always been confident about doing that, and I've you know watched you working more closely since I came to BBC in about 2007. And I kind of came from a position where I think, well, I'm not sure that should be there, but I was always a bit more nervous about those kinds of decisions, having that input. I definitely wanted to write and I definitely wanted to be involved in, you know, the, the construction of an interview. But I think now I feel a lot more empowered to say, I think perhaps we need a graphic that explains that. Or I think we need, which I, I definitely have learned from you, you know, watching you that oh, it's okay to say that. I can say that and I can have those opinions. Mm. I think it's coming from radio because in radio, you're very much encouraged to have that. But I do remember the very early days when I started working on the racing team as a junior reporter. I questioned something about the running order and my God, they did not like it. So it's not like it happened straight away. They went, oh, what a very good idea. <laughs> you know, who the hell do you think you are? We've been doing this for 20 years. I said, but, but why are we starting with exactly the same running order that we used last year? Surely you'd start again from scratch. And they all looked at me. It was like, what is she saying? <laughs> but so you've never been shy or quiet about expressing your opinion. I think sometimes I probably should have been. No, um, but you haven't. So, you know, for a lot of women that they feel more empowered as they get older. And I mean, one of the reasons when I first started doing this, I thought, God, we've got so much wisdom that we've accrued through our lives. 
it's a shame not to kind of use it in some way and share it, um, whether it's professionally or life experience. But men never seem to have a problem with <laughs> sharing their experiences. I think a bit earlier. I think for women, it does take some kind of epiphany. Yeah, and and you know, given that I didn't just grow up in a in a world that was dominated by men, it was very much you are there to make them look good. You know, my mother would say to me, very, you need to be very careful with men because I think sometimes you make them feel stupid. I said, Mum, <laughs> only if they are stupid. <laughs> she really what can't. age did she tell you that? 12? <laughs> <laughs> no, told me again at about 30. <laughs> um, and I, I'm just like, can we not speed this up? Why, why do, why? you know, I get, I get very, I understand that sometimes you've got to be appreciative of someone in a more senior position and make them feel as if it's their idea. But I just find that all a bit tiring. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> but has that impatience, do you think, uh, grown as you've got older? Oh God, yes. And I intend to be a really very direct. 50s. You're pretty direct now. Mm. <laughs> How's it going to be at 60? <laughs> well, I went to do Countdown the other day with Anne Robinson. So I've... That's, well, <laughs> there's, there's a meeting of two shrinking violets. <laughs> she actually, she was... She, I met her very early on in my career and she was really nice to me. And I was so thrown by that, um, that I've always had a real soft spot for her. And I do genuinely think as a woman who was prepared to be very vocal about value and who has talked about money in a way that women were not encouraged. I mean, still you know, aren't encouraged and to. And still are not. I think she's been really, yeah, groundbreaking for, for all of us that work in the media. And I have a, a huge amount of respect for her. Many years ago, I did The Weakest Link when she was presenting it. And I got through to the head-to-head -head against Graham Lasseau, who, as you will know, is very, very bright. And luckily, the questions sort of fell my way, and I did okay, and I won. And... I, the, you then had to do an interview afterwards and I had through the course of it, Anne had been very cutting and had talked a bit about when I was a, an amateur jockey, which I was, and why did I give up? And I said, well, look at me, I, I, I got too heavy, right? So then she would constantly use the line of, you know, who ate too many cookies and, the, and all of that. So I said in the interview at the end, I said, you know, well, Anne used my weight as a stick to beat me with, but you know. If that makes the crusty old cow happy, that's fine. I thought they'll never use that. It goes out and, of course, they used it as the last line. And I thought, oh, God. Two days later, I got a handwritten letter, oh, which I opened and saw the, you know, it's lovely headed paper, Gloucestershire, da, da, da. And, dear Claire, I watched your edition of The, of the Weakest Link. You sparkled and your intelligence and wit and da, 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 all really nice. And I thought, thank God she didn't see it. She didn't see the interview at the end. Turn over the page and it says, I do hope we'll work together soon with love, the crusty old cow. <laughs> Amazing. I hope you framed that. Oh, I thought that was really classy. And she quite enjoys it if you, you do spar. Yeah, if you spar bit. with her, if yeah. you're not frightened of her. And if it's and she loves facts. And if you know stuff, and I'm a bit of a nerd for, you know, facts. So she enjoys that. But yeah, I went to basically I just went to do it so I could hang out with her for a day. So she might be one. Would you have say, role models in the, the latter stages of their careers in our industry that you think, yeah, that's, that's, where, I'm, that's where I'm heading. I'm going to Yeah, I, and, and I think luckily there are so many more now. You know, I think when we were younger, you looked at Joan Bakewell and thought, well, that's one of very few women who is still, and then she would have only been in her 60s or probably even 50s. Well, you know the story at Sky, I was told I was going to be on telly after 28 by my, no. my boss at Sky when I was 23. So Really? I'm, I'm, I've cheated 20 years more so far in my career. So, yeah, so not only was I told that, I looked and thought, he's right, because I couldn't see many women who are older. No. <laughs> so, no. So who would you look at Well, now? luckily for both of us, Sue Barker obviously is, has, has been there a little bit longer than us, mm -hmm. and Hazel's only a few, Hazel Irvin's only a few years older than me and still unbelievably brilliant her her work ethic is so strong so I think in a sporting sense we've got good examples and good role models and then I look at acting and I always think right Judy Dench who just says all the time she says I'll keep working until the day that I can't I do things that interest me I do things that I find fun and you know if they pay me for it terrific and that is your kind of working motto my working right? motto yeah <laughs> that's it for the rest of the next 30 years yeah um keep which, going for as long as i can but is there anything anything that is burning inside you that you are desperate to do that is not related at all to the industry you're in currently i don't mean you know you're writing you're broadcasting outside of that is there anything that you think i need to do this i wanted to huh. 
I want to set up this this not-for-profit to help female athletes when they finish their athletic sporting career. I think they come out of it with not the same financial security that men have. And I think they have suddenly no structure, no identity. Their motivation is difficult because it because it's not, you know, what am I going to do before the next Olympics and how am I going to perform at the next Olympics? So setting up a speaker program, and these things do exist, but it's specifically this for female athletes to be able to speak in schools where you get a mixed audience of the independent schools can afford to pay them, but state schools there too, because that's, I want the message that these athletes have and help them with the presentations for that. So they've got Actually, but that uh, would also give them confidence to go into other areas. Um, exactly, and then you've got yeah. far more chance of, of. So you're going to set that up, getting the call. Yeah, but I can't run a business, so you know I don't know how to run a business. I don't want to run a Somebody business. Somebody else can do that bit. Someone else can do that bit, but I'm quite good at, at a selling ideas. It's and B, still related, though, isn't it? It's still related. Of course, it's related. Yeah. Why? What are you planning to do? Well, no, this? I'm just just wondering. If there's anything like? Do you never go? Oh, I should have. I mean, you've got an incredible education, obviously, Cambridge educated. Do you ever think? Oh, I sh- I should have been a human rights barrister. Or I should have, I could have, could I do this? Isn't yeah, I'd go back and study, definitely. Oh God, yeah, if I got the chance. And, and 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 actually, why not? Just make the chance. Yes, and Alice and I talk a lot about if we went, if we're going to be mature students, what are we <laughs> studying? Are oh, you got to do the same degree? No, 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 we'll do different degrees <laughs> and then have highly intellectual conversations about it instead of just playing Scrabble online with each other. Um, <laughs> and, watching, and watching Ted Lasso. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with watching Ted Lasso. Oh, the worst thing about it. Ted Lasso is the one only drops every week. That's okay. It's heartbreaking at the end of every episode that I can't then binge it and go on. I love um, it so much. Well, I'm delighted, Claire, that today's expert is a little bit different, actually. I normally bring an expert in around this time. We haven't got on to talking about the menopause and perimenopause just yet. And Caroline Harris, MP, is somebody I really really wanted to bring onto the podcast because she is, well, she calls herself the menopause revolutionist. She (laughs) is the woman who has brought a bill to parliament that could change the way the midlife and menopause affects women for centuries. Welcome, Carolyn. How are you? Hi, Gabby. Nice to see you too. Will you tell us about your own experiences, first of all, which led you to be so passionate about this area? Yeah, it happened to me when I wasn't a member of parliament. I was actually working in an office and I I'd had a gynecological operation in 2010 and I had literally bled for about three or four months continually. It was just horrendous. If I was to stand up, uh, I, I would be passing out, literally. In the end, I ended up going to see my doctor as an emergency saying, you know, I really don't feel very well. He sent me for blood tests there and then. And by the time I got back into my house, the hospital were phoning and saying, you need to come in now. Went into hospital and they said, I was, oh, you're the woman who's the walking dead. My haemoglobin had gone down to four. I put it down to the fact it was one continuous period. I now know that it was fibroids. I don't really know when I had my last period, but being women, we just carry on and do what we got to do. Had the operation, came out of hospital and... For about four weeks, I could feel myself just dropping and dropping and dropping until eventually the only place I had any sanctuary was actually wearing a, a pink hooded anorak with a hood up and just sitting there open. Nobody looked at me. I couldn't go shopping. I couldn't go out. I couldn't do anything. So I told myself that I was having a nervous breakdown. I'd lost my son in 1989 in a road accident when he was eight. So... I think I put everything down to the fact that maybe I hadn't grieved properly and I hadn't taken antidepressants at that time. So maybe it to come back to hit me with a, a force. My doctor responded to what I was telling him and give me antidepressants. I had cognitive behaviour therapy and then I went for seven months, gradually climbing back up on the antidepressants. And then in 2015, I got elected. And then I started talking to other women and listening to their stories. And it was a bit like, you're in the menopause, love. You, That's what's wrong with you. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not in grief. Of course I am. I'll always be grieving. But I was in the menopause because then I started putting together the fact that I was tired. I didn't have any mojo. I was aching all over. I couldn't I couldn't grow my nails. I used to have my nails done every every three weeks because I couldn't grow my nails. They would be horrendous. My hair was getting thinner. I couldn't remember the names of my kids. I was calling including the cat. I'd go through a full list before I got to the one I wanted. 
low libido, all these things. You know, we, we're intelligent women. If we don't know that we're going through the menopause, then who does know we're going through the menopause? It's a lack of education. And, you know, it's just awful that women are suffering literally in ignorance. So you then got yourself onto some kind of hormone rebalancing and things started to improve Yeah, well, I didn't you. do that until this year because I thought I'm 61. I was 60 then. I'm too late for HRT. Why on earth would I go on HRT now? It was only when I spoke to a doctor and the doctor said, if you were a diabetic and you needed insulin, do you stop needing insulin when you reach 60 or do you always need insulin? And I thought, yeah, that's right. If I'm lacking these hormones then I'm not going to just lack them this week or next week. And putting them in this week is not going to make them stay there next week. So I went on HRT and it's the best thing I ever done. So Karen, your experiences informed the passion that you have for this bill. And when I heard you speaking, it was particularly pertaining to women in the workplace, which I think is really important as well, not losing women from you know the mid 40s onwards. So was your motivation for this bill, not just because you wanted more women to have access to it, but also to keep women working, particularly when they're reaching pivotal parts of their careers? Before I lost Martin, and up until the time around losing Martin, I was a dinner lady and a barmaid. I could never do those jobs now with the symptoms I've had over the last 10 years. So the very fact I've got a job where I can sit down, I can do it. But if I had to physically do activity, I wouldn't have been able to survive. There are a lot of women out there who are low-income earners, they're on manual jobs or they're working in shops or they're doing stuff which is strenuous and they are really struggling. And if they're not getting the support in the workplace and, you know, they say they've got a policy, but when you speak to the women on the shop floor or on the factory floor or in the office, they've no idea what so it what is. So what are these women doing, Karen? Are they leaving the jobs? Some of them are having to leave because they just can't keep up with it. Some of them are asking for support. Some of them are being sacked because it's been suggested that they're not any good at their job anymore. They've not been taken into account the fact that they have symptoms. There's been quite a lot of high-profile cases recently where women have won discrimination cases for, for being dismissed, going through menopause. They reduce their hours when they can't really afford to. You know, there's so many different situations and there's a lot more women don't realise that they're experiencing this and are struggling in the workplace than have realised what it is and are looking for some kind of justice. That's why we need to literally get this out there into every woman's ears. So tell us what stage the bill's at now and what you're hoping to achieve. I live in Wales. Prescriptions are free, so it's important to to lay that out to Distinguish start with. Distinguish that, yeah. So I've been wanting to start an APPG, an all-party parliamentary group on menopause, for about two years. We talk about it every International Menopause Day, but we don't actually do anything about it. It's always well-supported, but it doesn't go any further. So I wanted to do a group where we'd be cross-party and we could look at all the issues and try to find a way of working with the government, businesses, employers, unions, medical schools, the lot, to see if we could come up with a better plan than we've got now. And everything was going to take longer than a year. So when I got this private member's bill, I needed something that could be done in a year, which was not going to be complicated, that could be done with one government department, but would have a big effect in that it would give attention to the bigger picture. Um, And I was talking to a colleague who said she was going to pick up her HRT and she said it was going to cost her 40 quid. There's two packets, but there's two hormones in each packet. So I'm paying four times. And then it was a light bulb moment. It's only women in England who will pay in for HRT. So the aim is to get that yeah. free. At the moment, not enough women are actually getting even access to it, are they? No. And that's because 41% of medical schools don't do anything at all on the menopause when they teach in GPs. And those that do will pay anything between 20 minutes to two to three hours. So, you know, how can you learn about all those symptoms and understand the intricacies of what happens when somebody's going through the menopause to be able to prescribe. A lot of doctors are afraid of HRT. A lot of doctors are not capable of diagnosing the menopause. And they haven't got to be doctors. It can be nurses. You know, we could have an army of, of menopause nurses. How many women mm-hmm. have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, early onset dementia, osteoporosis, depression, anxiety? We think about the money that's been spent on women repeatedly Mm. seeing consultants on different issues. Somebody was to say, well, A and B and C and D could be the menopause. Let's look at that first. 
I mean, you have to talk about money because that is what so many political decisions <laughs> will come down to. But also the lives that change, you know, families' lives that change. And you talk about women who are in, you know, very low paid jobs who are vital for their family's functionality and all those things that affect the happiness and health and well-being of a family. And save marriages. You know, the, the, yeah. the thing about the low libido, a lot of marriages and relationships are going to the wall because of the lack of libido and the partner thinking, well, she doesn't love me anymore. You know, she's got someone else. You know, we, we've all heard stories of this. And, and the truth of it is, it could just be the fact that she's lacking those hormones. And, you know, she life is so much better. I've been embracing my menopause now. And I just wish more women would do that. I talk, I talk ad nauseum about it. I, I am determined to get the word vaginal dryness into every conversation. Because <laughs> once you say it, women then say, oh, I know. No, do you know, I'm, I, I don't want to disappoint you, but Davina McCall got there before you on this podcast. <laughs> she said it. So, um, so you're in good company, Caroline, yeah. as you know, because she's obviously produced and, and been part of a very powerful documentary, which is, and, and you are doing amazing things in Parliament. And as you say, it is cross-party. This is not something that is, you know, going to be the preserve of labour or conservative. No this politics is... in women's health. And th uh, this no. is the thing with the cost for me. You can't put a cost on women's health. You have to do whatever you can to make sure that every woman has the opportunity to continue having an exciting and normal, a normal life. And, and menopause can't be what stops it. Thank you so much. Claire, I know we, we haven't had a little chat ourselves yet, but um, no. she's... Because, Carolyn, I'm one of those women who finds it really awkward to talk about all of this. <laughs> and I, um, I'm just so grateful to you because... Women like me who find it all terribly awkward and, and literally have got somebody else to buy my Tampax my whole life because I don't <laughs> even like going into a shop to do that and hide it under various things if I have to. I need people like you. So thank <laughs> you, because I would just crack on and pretend it wasn't happening. Well, I'll tell you a funny story, Claire. I remember my mother and her sisters having a conversation about something which was obviously to do with the menopause, sending me out of the room because, you know, Carolyn shouldn't be listening to this. I was 36. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is, we have done this to ourselves. It is from generation mm -hmm. to generation. We've not talked about it and we've ended up where we are, but I'm changing all that. We've, we've written a letter to the Prime Minister and I'm looking for really prominent, well-known women to sign that letter. So you know what's coming next. Please sign we'll our get letter. the pens out. We'll get the pens out for you. you. Don't worry. We'll, Claire, Claire's, Claire's going to write it, but she's going to get somebody else to do it for her. Claire, um, you're on the top of the list. <laughs> but the, the, but you but actually just you've brought up an inter, important point because, yeah, women have kind of done it to ourselves in the sense that we've kept the conversation away. And I think it's really important as well. I don't know what your male colleagues in Parliament are like, but men have to come on board with this because whether you're living with a man, you will have a man somewhere in your life, whether it is a boss or a, a brother or and they need to kind of know what's happening with women now because they're they're just as squeamish. And, you know, and it's really not that difficult a thing to get your head around and i think it? men are, are better i mean there was a time when we'd have a conversation about periods to get rid of men now men are happy <laughs> to talk about periods and i've not met a man yet who isn't happy to discuss the menopause because they know Excellent. that it affects them you know i think they yeah. they're probably better than women in some respect in that they are they've seen the consequences and mm. they are they are they're willing to talk about it but then they're not experiencing it you see no no and as you said and I think you know I've read you say something along the lines and if they did then it would be free prescription and it would have been for the last hundred years and we'd probably have them in vending machines yeah and we wouldn't have any in children in the world but there we are <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn thank you so much for coming on and keep up the amazing work and I will uh, Borada yeah Borada ta-da bye guys bye And just a few days after our interview, Carolyn's bill was read for the second time in the Houses of Parliament and it was decided that women in England should not pay more than one prescription charge a year for their HRT. So not free, but effectively just a bit less than a tenner for a year's supply, which is a massive improvement. And there was a rally outside Parliament and it made the news and breakfast news and radio all over. So her revolution is alive and well. There is more to do, as she would say, but stage one, big tick. So how is the body? How is it all feeling? I genuinely think I had my first hot flush this morning. Good timing. Yeah, I know. It's because I knew I was coming here and I was getting panicked about having to talk about the menopause. And then I went and had a hot flush and it's all your fault. No, I, I, th I actually think that is what it was. 
and Alice's um, yes oldest. So has she? She's on HRT. Yes. So and she, has to pay for her. <laughs> yeah, but has she kind of said to you, Claire? Yes, you, she did. She was there this morning, yeah. and I'm standing at the you know in the kitchen. Going, I think I'm having a hot flush. She said, okay, what does it feel like? I said, well, I'm suddenly all hot all over and I, and I haven't done anything to make myself hot. And and then about five minutes later, I said, oh, I'm okay now. And she went, yes, I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's the beginning. And I wasn't, because I, I, I didn't really understand. So she would say, I'm really hot. And I once said to her, would you like some, I've got some of that afterburn, you know, like when you get sunburnt yeah. and they've got that after sun gel, you know, the aloe vera. Yeah. I said, I've got some aloe vera gel, would that help? And she looked at me and went, no. <laughs> I said, oh, I just thought it might. So you would be up for going and, and now maybe that you've acknowledged you might have some symptoms going and seeing somebody about it? Well, yeah, if my doctor would help, but I've no <laughs> idea. But now I'm worried because Carolyn says none of them have any training. Well, yeah, so, but I think if you go armed with knowledge, I think this is what we're finding, that doctors are very open then to discussing it. I think it's just the idea of you going in with something that they think is not related to the menopause yes. and then misdiagnosing, which doesn't help. But I think Carolyn's point, particularly pertaining to the employment of women and keeping women in the workplace is so important because so many women drop out because of the symptoms, feeling they can't cope with those at work. Yeah, and I think... That's going to happen to you. <laughs> well, I, I sometimes I worry that I'm not thinking as sharply as I used to or can or I am on certain days and not on others sometimes that's a relief for everybody if I just tone it down a bit and go yes I'll do what you tell me to do <laughs> they go thank god <laughs> uh, yeah and my sight which is probably is more to do with age than menopause I think is suddenly I do look at auto cue if one is doing Squint a bit and go oh and I found for a while if I'm standing do you ever get this and you're standing and you're in the lights on set and I can start to feel a bit weird then Maybe you just need a glass of water. Or a stool. <laughs> they might be menopause things or they might just be um, standing yeah. too long. So if I grab you, when we have to walk out for a spotty, spotty yeah. you grab me anyway. You yeah. always grab me um, and go, I, oh God, because you don't like wearing heels, do you? I don't like so, wearing heels. So, but physically you're in good shape. You've got, you do all your rambling, your... Um, yeah, I don't do what you do though. I haven't got a gym and I, you know, I don't do all the working yeah, but you out never, stuff. You've never been kind of into, you're more outdoorsy active person, aren't you? I need natural light and I do need... Need to walk so actually that's the other thing that happened in lockdown my routine would be get up when Archie was alive walk Archie and he that by then wasn't going very far then do a bit of writing then go for my big walk where I'd listen to a podcast and I you know really do a nice really lovely circuit down by the river and then do a bit more writing and actually I was doing a bit of exercise I was doing some online stuff with scary looking women from California <laughs> who would doing? say come on girls let's do Madonna arms <laughs> and you know you doing? Do, I was doing what they called sugar something sugar was it pilates or was it um, no i was doing arm exercises and then i do bums and bum and thighs and what's happened to that program i you've dropped off it yeah you don't love it no i well i never loved it i mean i did it because i had a whole day so i thought i better do something and i was getting up in because the advice was if you get up in active gear you will then at some point do at it at some point do it so you know so you put your leggings on yeah <laughs> thinking this will happen and then my skin my got all in people were going claire baldy's wearing wristbands and a headband <laughs> she looks like jane fonda what's going on um, <laughs> So, but you're—I got—you've got a useful outlook in life, though. I think you're kind of—you can very easily see the girl, the young girl in Claire. She comes out quite a lot. Well, particularly when you try and make me talk about the menopause, and I go, Bleh. "But that's what I mean." You can see that little Claire. Little—I mean, you know, when I say little Claire, I mean young Claire comes out and and has a—you know—shines every now and again. So you're not far away from your kind of childish self. I think I've maintained a very positive outlook on life. I am your Labrador puppy that's wagging its tail all the time, which is very tiring for Alice to live with. I am like Ted Lasso. <laughs> hey guys, let's get going. Come on, that's great. We lost five nil, it's fine. We played with spirit. No, I'm very much into, you know, I do love life and I embrace life. And I, the, the, but I have realised that part of the reason I can stay that way is as long as I've got enough light and I've been outside enough and I've done enough things that I feel have value, then I'm, I feel like the positive wave keeps going. The only time ever that I didn't feel that was when I was doing a program in Salford, which involved being in very early in the morning before the sun was up, sitting and writing in a room that had no light, then being on set and being basically on, you know, recording until about midnight and repeat. Now, it was only a six day 
shoot, but it was really intense. It didn't suit me at all. It's why I would say no to things now like that. Like a breakfast show. Oh God, I can't do that. No, I really can't do that. So you know that about yourself. So you make decisions based on that. Your enthusiasm's as strong as it ever was for things. We live in a really complicated, topsy-turvy world with lots of things at the moment, it seems going wrong all the time. How do you maintain that positive? Because I think as you get older, you see more bad things, don't you? When you're younger, you kind of close your, your eyes to lots of those well, things. Well, I protect myself in lots of, I mean, Alice watches the news nonstop. And I do think that can have quite a negative mm. effect. And she'll come and tell me the headlines. <laughs> she brings my <laughs> cup of tea in the morning and so I say, what's happened? <laughs> and she'll just give me the basics. But <laughs> it's lovely. In a, proper, in, a proper head, in a proper headline voice as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, if, if people that don't know, tell them what Alice's previous... Alice last... for many, many years read the news and did the shipping forecast on Radio 4. Yeah. So has a really... And now works for Mellow Magic and has a fantastic voice. But it is rather lovely saying... So what are the headlines? You know, um, England beat Hungary or whatever. You know, whatever. Give me the score and, and what happened. And then there was violence. Oh, right. Okay. So that's how you get your news now. No, I do actually <laughs> listen to the news as well. But it's my filtered news is that. Right. But during, you, you know, Alice would watch the COVID updates every single day. And I did realise once when we were coming back in the car and we were listening to it on the radio and she was telling me what the next chart would be before it was being said. So when Chris Whitty or whoever saying, next slide, please, Alice would say to me, now this is going to be the deaths in such. And I looked at her and I said, do you think you might be too heavily across this? You know, for someone who's actually not working in news anymore. <laughs> or the NHS. <laughs> or the NHS. You seem to be really well informed on this. Whereas I would go for my walk when the Daily COVID update was on or you know, yeah. just so get you, myself you out of there. You buried your head a bit then. You buried your head in the sand a bit. Probably, yeah. But also when we're doing major events, my way of coping with social media is to not look for the length of that uh, event. So I was quite unaware of things quite often. And that's not a bad place to be. Alice will tell, again, she'll look at it and tell me if I've said someone's name wrong or if I've described something, you know, that's not quite accurate, put this right next time if you can, or... But if it's people just not liking my hair and not liking what I'm wearing, I don't need, so to, what? I don't yeah, need, to, need to know that. No. no, I mean, we're very lucky because I think we started our careers without all mm. of that. And for the first 10 years, ignorance was bliss. I had no idea people didn't like me. Mm. <laughs> I had no idea that they but had a strong think, opinion on my hair. But I think the other way can be quite head turning as well. And I think I don't need to see either extreme, you, you know, because you're not as wonderful as the people who oh, think God, you're no, wonderful. But- and I think you have to learn really quickly how to how to handle it for you and for for different people it will be different some like the confrontation and they get energy from it mm. and will engage and you see that happen a lot you know people throw a lot of punches on on twitter in particular and they seem to enjoy it and get strength from it i don't i don't enjoy it and and i but you're not a confrontational person generally i would say no although I, you're combative in the sense that you will take on a subject that you really feel mm. passionate about you wouldn't just go in for a for a fight no. with somebody for the sake of it. I wouldn't. And I and I believe in that energy being directed in certain ways. So I think to answer your earlier question of what what do I want to achieve? That's not, I do believe quite strongly in various campaigns and I will get very proactive in that field. Um, and that can sometimes have negative com- consequences. Um, but for, in my head, it's more important to do something that leaves some kind of you know, pathway being slightly easier for those that follow. Um, what would the 21, 22-year-old Claire who graduated think of 50-year-old Claire's life? I wanted to change the world when I was, you know, all through my 20s. And I still want to change the world or at least the bit of the world around me, the bit that I think I can influence. And that's, I haven't lost that drive. I think that 20, 21-year-old Claire would be quite surprised that I'm still living in London. <laughs> but that, by the sounds of it, might change quite soon, maybe. Well, well not that soon. It's not going to happen until after Paris, as you know. We you do everything by Olympic cycle. Everything by Olympic cycle, exactly. <laughs> she can't talk about a menstrual cycle, but she can bloody talk about an Olympic cycle, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. And, you know, I've made the choices I've wanted to make and have done it, I think, with a freedom that I'm not sure I had anticipated. And at 22, and a lot of that is to do with, you know, living and loving someone who is on a par with me and not pretending to somehow be in control of me in any way. 
And Alice and I work really well as a team together. You know, I run everything by her and I won't do things unless she... She was a little bit dismissive of catchphrase, actually, and said she wasn't going to engage in that one. But I won a lot of money for charity oh, and I was quite pleased with it. hasn't been on yet, mine. I did get through to the final. Yeah. Uh, but I... Did you get to the top of the pyramid? No. No, me neither. And I was flying. I was very disappointed. I was it. flying early on. And, yeah. then, and then this thing comes up and I look at it going, I really... I got stuck on it. You know, when they told yes. you, they said, don't dwell on it, move no. on. And I couldn't. I, I went sideways, couldn't do that no. one either. So then I'm stuck. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's embarrassing. Anyway, it's for not. charity. It's yeah. for charity. Yeah. And I think those things, they're running out of money. They need money. So Well, I and frankly, I didn't have a lot else in my diary. Why else did so. I do supermarket sweep? No, you Kenny, were brilliant on supermarket Kenny sweep. Kenny damaged all the aisles. He, I, I basically, yeah. I let him do that. I shouldn't have done it. I should have done it. But I know. Anyway. He, wasn't, he wasn't structured enough no. in his shopping he planning. He ignored all my advice. He did. just got into a bit of a head spin. <laughs> I know. And it's tricky. If you get the inflatable, you've got to put it on top. Yeah, but he did. You I can't mean, put it in the saffron, middle of... saffron all day long and he didn't listen. Um, <laughs> uh, you're, uh, Claire, an absolute joy to talk to, as always. I knew that anyway, because I spent uh, a small but uh, not inconsiderable amount of my professional life chatting to you. Um, and I'm sorry I put you through the excruciating kind of few minutes. I mean, we skirted around it, but um, yeah. You I were... just, I'm, I'm sort of thrilled that I've actually, you know... Outed st- yourself. Well, I, I, it is, don't you think that's really odd that I promise promise you that I'm going to always remember this day because it's the day I had my first hot flush and you made me talk about the menopause and I'm sure those two things are connected <laughs> the fear of having to talk about it brought it on yeah your poor body's going I'm dying to get out here I'm dying to get out uh, well good luck with that I'm Thanks. sure yeah I'm sure nothing will ever hold you back so keep being you and keep doing all the amazing things that you do in terms of your campaigning and uh, the energy that you give to other people as well Thanks for coming on Midpoint, Claire. Thank you. I told you she had a lot of energy, didn't I? Thank you so much to Claire for being such an honest and open guest. I do find it funny that she's a woman who's so articulate, vociferous and campaigning, but still gets a bit squeamish talking about her body. But I guess that's what makes all of our journeys through midlife so different. It's unique to us, isn't it? Carolyn, on the other hand, has had to be so brutally honest about her experience so she can get her voice heard in Parliament and get support for her bill, which will change so many lives when it goes through. And thank you to Solgar for being with us again today. Here's something you might not know about Solgar. They've been working with a carbon neutral company since 2000, so over 20 years achieving full carbon neutral status in 2010. It's invested in a whole range of products, from the planting of native trees in long-term natural woodland to the installation of solar panels for communities around the world, again showing they are the gold standard in everything they do, and I'm very proud to have them on as a partner. Thank you to Lauren Armstrong-Carter for producing with Rethink Audio, and of course to you for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.